0: Well, good morning. How are you all this morning? Good? This is, uh, this is a real privilege. I'm looking forward to, to having a spe- chance to spend some time with you, although I look around and I realize that some of the folks that have been in one of my leadership programs will, uh, will realize we're on, we're on uh, familiar ground. I want, want to tell you a quick story. Um, I first came to faith in the late 80s um, out in BC. I had two young children. So any of you have ever worked in a VBS program? VBS brought us to Christ. Um, so while I can never do it myself, I, I honor those who do. And uh, it was a little Lutheran church, a little country church. And we got very, very involved. And my kids, my two daughters got very involved. And, um, and eventually they got involved in confirmation class. And uh, Lutherans take that stuff really seriously. That's a whole year of study, 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 and Luther's small catechism and everything. Anyway, the, the big day comes. But about four months prior to that, I had accepted a position as the vice president of organization development at Trillium Health Center here in Mississauga. So I had actually moved to Toronto, but my family had stayed behind until the school year ended, and most importantly to the girls till when confirmation ended. Big day comes, I flew out for the big event, and uh, one of the more memorable days in our family. Um, so in our context, the, the congregants, the... the uh, confirmands all stood at the front they got peppered by by the congregation with theological questions very tense and then they have to sort of kneel on this cushion Well, in the four months that i'd been away my younger daughter shannon had grown seven inches but she would bought the dress for her confirmation before then so try to imagine she's trying to kneel and suddenly realizes that any mistake and she's going to be showing the entire congregation things they don't want to see so that's the first piece of it that goes rather badly. And then they're all, they'd are all they all been given a Bible verse that so they had to speak on. So they come up and they're stumbling and going through it. Until my older daughter, Lindsay, gets up and she sort of slouches on the podium. She says, well, I suppose by now most of you have figured out that my dad is making us move to Toronto. I don't want to move to Toronto. I hate Toronto. I think it's stupid that we have to go to Toronto. And then I get told, I have to read this verse, and I'm supposed to talk to you about it. So here's my verse. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18. Be joyful always. Right. Okay, I'm really happy we're moving to Toronto. Not. Pray continually. I've been praying. I've been praying that my father would get some sense and stop this nonsense. God does not answer prayer. Give thanks in all circumstance So thank you very much God for ruining my entire life and I am never going to recover And if that's your will in Jesus Christ, well, I guess that's just the way we'll have to do it and thank you very much My my wife and I literally were sliding off our chairs (laughs) Slithering out through the back. door. I've never been so embarrassed in my whole life So I wanted to talk about that verse Kind of a memorable one for us. First of all, it's important to understand the context of Thessalonians. That possibly uh, Paul's first letter, um first the first of his uh of his canonical letters, but he was writing to them in a time of great suffering. If Lindsay had known that, maybe this would have had more effect for her. That the the, the message was very clear that, that our thanks for God, our praise to God. Our glory in God is not because of um, our circumstances. It's quite the opposite. It's thanks, and the the music this morning was perfect in in celebrating that. It's thanking God for what he's done in Christ Jesus, regardless of our circumstances. That our our thanks of God and our praise to God are independent um, of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And that's really struck home for me over the last several years. Um, sort of fast forward, I was in Toronto and probably, uh, well, not probably, uh, very clearly at the worst point of my life. My, my marriage was coming to pieces. Um, and it was devastating for the whole family. And I started seeing a Christian counselor. And one time I went to her and I just said, you know, and I just described the state of my heart, the state of my mind. And I was just completely finished. I had nothing left. My mother had died at, just that, at the same time and everything was just coming to pieces, selling her house in Oakville. And bless her heart, she looked at me and she said, first of all, there's no charge for this session because I got nothing. <laughs> I have nothing I can say to you except one thing. She said, I just want you to remember that God inhabits the praises of his people. I'll see you next week. <laughs> and I walked out thinking, what does that mean? And then I realized I had nothing else. And so all the way home, and for the next hour and a half, I just praised God. Clearly not because of my circumstances, because they couldn't have been worse. But I just praised God. And I felt better. And those of you that have been in class with me know that I spend—I I, I think a lot about something that is really one of the fastest growing areas of study in science today. And that's the, the way the brain works. Right? The, and this whole question of emotional intelligence. And it suddenly struck me that something really interesting was going on here. See, the idea behind emotional intelligence is that the brain, there's actually, I'll give you a quick, are there any neurobiologists or neurosurgeons here? Then I'll be forgiven if I get this slightly wrong. But God has designed this brain of ours in the most exquisite way. At the brain stem, it's just automatic responses. It's not It doesn't think for itself. It only knows one of four possible responses. Enemy, friend. Potential partner or indifferent, and it looks at the world and makes instant decisions, and it makes those decisions because it's getting signals from the limbic system, the amygdala in the limbic system, that is like your early warning system. It sets off fire bells when it sees something that it thinks might be a potential threat, and it sends a signal to the brainstem, and the brainstem fires instantly, like in fractions of a nanosecond. You have no control over it. Blood starts pumping. Chemical changes start taking place in your body. Your, your brain gets flooded with cortisol. Um, you get shots of adrenaline. You're ready for the classic fight-flight response. If it's, if it's an enemy, you're either going to take it on or you're going to run and hide. And we still do that today, right? We still do that psychologically. We, we see somebody coming down the street, and we're, we don't realize it, but we're making those judgment calls, and then you've got the part of our brain that is the new, the, the part that are, that makes us human. Frankly, the prefrontal cortex, and it's it's a very small part of the brain. It's only about four percent of the brain by volume, but it does all of your thinking, all of that rational, logical thinking. And it needs a lot of gas to do that. It needs a lot of oxygen. It needs a lot of a lot of um, other resources that frankly are in short supply. And as soon as you determine that that's used as trigger, as soon as you have an emotional trigger to something, the cortisol actually prevents the prefrontal cortex of your brain from working. Right? it sort of bays it. Because you don't want to see an enemy coming and you're going, hmm, what should I do in this situation? I would probably need to do some research and have a... Con-. You don't want that part of your brain working. You want to be able to respond very, very quickly. So here's what's interesting. As quickly as that ha- happens you can actually stop it from happening. You can actually per- calm that, that response down. And all the research tells us that there's several ways that you can do that. But what I want you to keep Thessalonians in mind as we talk about it. Um, you can simply call up pleasant memories. And I know that sounds a bit hokey, but as your brain starts to envision pleasant memories, there is clear evidence now that it releases, the brain then releases two different chemicals, dopamine and serotonin, that have been linked to the pleasure centers of the brain. In a sense, they calm the brain down. So you imagine a a situation, you imagine whatever, and you can actually feel chemical changes happening in your brain very quickly that is allowing your thinking brain to come back into play. Mm -hmm. Images of gratitude. Just... Reflecting on what it is you're grateful for, same thing, has that same effect, right? Um, Prayer has the same effect, particularly prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of joy, prayers of affirmation, prayers of gratitude, not prayers that start out with, oh, Lord, woe is me, life is horrible. That's going to have the opposite effect. But the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And isn't it interesting that it would appear that God is actually, when you praise him, your chemical changes that God has designed into you are taking place in the body, that's, in the brain, that it's allowing you to get a clear head again, to think rationally. I just think that's, uh, that's extraordinary. So when, say, when we say, you know, be joyful always. It's the choices we make when we feel stress and we feel tension. Are we going to focus on the problem in front of us that's causing all of this negative response? Or are we going to be intentional and focus on God and what God is doing and on praising God for what he's done in our lives, knowing biochemically that good things are happening very quickly? I've decided, by the way, if I ever get a boat, I'm going to call it serotonin. I think that would be just the perfect name for a boat. Now, here's the other thing that struck me just a little while ago. What's the most common phrase in scripture? Fear not. not. Somebody tells me that there's 365 times in in the Bible that that shows up. I think that's a little suspicious, but maybe something like that. So throughout scripture, right? Throughout scripture, we're told continuously, fear not. And yet many of us live lives full of fear, right? But suddenly I realized right there in Scripture, we're told fear not, and we're told to pray continuously and be joyful always. Do you see the link? If you're going to live a fear-free life, God's given you the the methodology, if you like, to make that happen, to simply focus on him, focus on what he's done for you in Christ, and, and watch the fear Dissipate. Early in my Christian walk, I was particularly struck by First Corinthians 10, when it said, and God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted, and it can be translated tested, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or tested, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. I thought, wow. I've got the sort of personality that's forever getting myself in hot water. I'm always getting myself in trouble. And I thought, I may think I can't handle this, but God knows differently because he wouldn't let me be in that situation if he didn't think I could handle it. So I got to think about how he's equipping me to handle this. And all of a sudden, you're reengaging the prefrontal cortex. You're reengaging the thinking part of your brain. It just blows me away how much we're just finally getting a glimmer of what God has... Designed into us from the very beginning. This amazing capacity to tap into the healing power that he has for us. And that sort of led me to start to think and read a lot more of Richard Foster and others who write about breathing prayer. Because they take that Thessalonian passage very seriously and ask the question, what does it mean to pray continuously? What does that mean? Um i don 't think personally that it means that we 're on our knees twenty four seven right cutting ourselves off from the rest of the world, but the real question becomes do we have an attitude of the heart that orients us to prayer that in that in difficult times our first orientation is to prayer that 's the attitude of our heart so this idea of a breathing prayer, a breath that you can a prayer that is in one breath, one inhalation and exhalation lovely idea so that in, in any moment, we can call up that prayer. The most famous one um, comes a variant from Luke um, eighteen thirteen, when the tax collector cries out, God, "God be merciful to me, a sinner." And so it's now referred to as the Jesus prayer. Simply on the inhale, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathing that in, and then exhaling, "Have mercy on me, a sinner." Inhaling the goodness of God, the reality of Jesus. And exhaling the sin that is in us. Pretty cool. Richard Foster would suggest that, that it's not so much about cr- creating your own breathing prayer or borrowing it from others as simply discovering what God has for you. Because I, I've spent a lot of time in the healthcare setting, reading a lot recently about, some, and particularly since I've had a history of cancer. We're learning more and more and more how the body holds disease at a cellular level. And so if disease is at a cellular level, it's at a cellular level we need to start thinking about how we turn the disease, if you like, or how we re- rethink that. And so my own breathing prayer evolved from that thought process. And i I'll regularly, I just repeat the prayer to myself. Lord, I pray that every cell of my body would be filled with the love of God, the blood of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is I start to pray that. It morphs from a request. I pray that to a statement of fact. Every cell of my body is, in fact, filled with the love of God, the blood of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? And I can feel God there. I can feel that presence because you're inviting God into the very deepest part of you. And what I'm starting to think is that God doesn't sort of, you know, He doesn't have an address somewhere in my body. When, when we talk about Christ being in us, Christ is in every single cell of your body. Think about that for a second. I have no evidence for that, but somehow, as you as you start to contemplate the implications of that, I think it's pretty significant. So let me very very quickly. Here's, the, uh, here's what Foster would suggest as a way of discovering your own healing prayer. And I, I'll encourage you to sort of just try it at some point. First of all, just find a place to sit quietly. Just get yourself away from the hubbub and just sit quietly. And just try to keep your mind as empty as possible and let just God let God just call out your name. Paul, let him call out your name. Let him call out your name. And then just start to ask, what is it that I really want? What is it that I, is my heart's desire from God? Is it to know peace? Is it to know joy? Is it simply to know him? So you just let it, that, that is a sort of a variation of Lectio Divina. Just let that land on your heart. And then start to connect it to your favorite term for God. Abba, Father, I want to know you. Yahweh, I want to know your love. Whatever. You see how you're you're creating it except you're discovering it. God is the one that's pouring that out for you. And then just write it down so that you can say it in one breath, one inhalation, one exhalation. And by the way, the very process of inhalation And exhalation has a tremendous positive effect, particularly the exhalation part has a tremendously positive effect on you because you're exhaling all the carbon dioxide that you want to get out of your lungs. Then just let it sit for a while. As my friend Bruxy would say, marinate in it, right? Marinate in it. Let God adjust it. Repeat it, and God will will do that work in you. He'll just adjust it. He'll just tweak it. And then, you now have it, because it's very hard to come up with a prayer if you're really triggered. If you're really upset, your prayers tend to come out very angry. right? But when you've, when you've worked through that, it's the first thing you call to mind. right? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. You don't even have to think about it. And so you're moving that prayer from a cognitive function. You're in fact moving it, neurologically, you're moving it from the the prefrontal cortex into the memory of your brain. Right? Into the memory of the brain where it takes no effort at all to pull it forth. But it's the sort of thing that you have to have thought about and prepared for uh, ahead of time. And so then you just pray it continuously. You pray it when you're in the car. You pray it when you go for a walk. Right? You just pray it continuously. And just that, it starts to move it from the head from the thinking brain into the memory, the emotional memory of the brain, and ultimately I'm convinced into the heart. Right? It just becomes that attitude of the heart that says, in all things, in all circumstances, no matter what's happening in my life, I'm going to remember that God inhabits the praises of his people. When I had my experience with cancer seven years ago, a very frightening time, obviously it was throat cancer, you can probably tell by my voice, um, and I realized early on in that journey that I had two choices. I could lean into God or not. And I'm convinced that the experience that I'd had in my with my marriage coming apart that just literally eight months before, that God, I realized God had used that to prepare my heart for an even bigger challenge. And suddenly I was in a position and I was able to then just stay focused on God. Which is much harder, by the way, when they've got you on high doses of morphine. But I can, I'm here to tell you, you can still do it. It comes out a little weird, but apparently God still honors that. So that's my encouragement. Take it seriously. Be joyful, always. Not because of anything that's happening to you or, or anything you've done. Just be joyful because you have a God who loves you so much. That he wants to inhabit every cell of your body. You have a God who loves you so much that he gave everything to draw you back to him. If that isn't something to be joyful about, to be thankful for, I don't know what is. And to pray continuously, to pray in the spirit of God that he would be indwelling in you and that you would know his love and his truth. There you go. Let me just uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the privilege of knowing you, of, of feeling and experiencing your love in every part of my body. And I pray now, Lord, that as we all go back into our work, that we would go um, praising you and giving you thanks. That we we would go back into our various tasks with one thought in mind. How can I make this, whatever it is that I'm doing, How do I, Lord, help me to make this an act of worship to the God who loves me. So I just pray that God would bless you today, bless each and every one of you as you go from here. We'll just capture your heart with a song of praise. In Jesus' name, amen.